straight out of Compton. Hello, and thank you for watching another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And now your host, Dane Alves and brother Christopher Ray Patton. Thanks, Fink. I appreciate that. Hey, guys. How's it going out there? This is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where every Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST, me and my good friend and co-host, Christopher Ray Patton, break down the last week of wrestling. We are a day late, a buck short. I don't remember the rest of the lyrics. I'm writing the report. Oh, man, I'm singing Damn It from Blink-182. Doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, we were a day late due to some issues on my end. We're here to talk about wrestling on this Thursday. If you are a new listener that happens to be listening live, normally we are on Wednesdays, 7 p.m. EST, and definitely check out our website because we are part of Geek Vibes Nation. So go to GV Nation, that's in Geek Vibes, GVNation.com, and check out all of our news for wrestling, comics, comic book movies, um, video games. If it's a geek thing that you like, we probably cover it. It also has links to our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram, our Facebook, and our Twitter. You can find me and Chris on Facebook and Twitter. Find us. Let's start more conversation, guys. I appreciate all the listeners. I just want to get to know you. Anyways, speaking about getting to know you, I want to get to know you. Yeah. How you doing today, Brother Ray Patton? I'm doing wonderful, man. Just got off work. Uh, cracked open. One beer. Two beers. Three beers. Uh, sorry, Stone Cold. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for the fucking show, man. Always. Uh I'm excited. We got a little bit of news to talk about after a very weak Raw and SmackDown. Uh, and also, like next time you next time you show up with with some Blink 182, remind me, and I'll I'll come through with my little Wayne. Uh, <laughs> getting ready for that Jeez. summer tour, man. <laughs> That's the weirdest tour, but I'm down. Shot him on us. Yeah, but um, either way, man. Uh, some stuff to talk about in wrestling, um, some good and unfortunately some bad. Uh, I think it was on the 11th or the 12th, uh, a luchador legend and wrestler Silver King passed away in a match. Um, apparently, he had cardiac arrest. Uh, he was having a match with uh, wrestler Juventud Guerrera and I believe London. Um, and he just went limp. And no one really knew what was going on with them. Uh, they went for the pin after the match. He didn't get up. Uh, and so then they they then got, you know, some paramedics. Uh, but unfortunately, they were, uh, you know, too late. And he had passed away far before the paramedics got there. Um, bad situation. Extremely bad situation. Uh, he was only 51 years old. 
Um, I think most of the audience, uh, me and Chris's age, would probably know him from one of the many amazing luchador wrestlers that was on uh, in WCW. Uh, Chris Jericho cites him as an influence on him, as well as many other wrestlers, of just doing certain things. Because him, apparently, very similar to, like, Ultimo Dragon, was someone that acquired skills in, you know, Japanese-based wrestling, American-based wrestling, and Lucha Libre, and kind of combined them. So, um, you know, he will be extremely missed in this uh, very, very tragic, tragic situation. Uh, also, he was um, Ramses, which is a character that he performed in the ring, but Ramses in the 2005 movie Nacho Libre with Jack Black. Uh, just a very tragic situation. Uh, Chris, do you have any stories about Silver King? I honestly, uh, my fondest memories of, would be obviously him in WCW, even though he wasn't a huge star there. That's where I know him the most from. I do know that he is, you know, the son of Dr. Wagner and the brother of Dr. Wagner Jr., um, yep. who I am more familiar with than uh, Silver King himself. So apologies for that uh, for the audience. But the the entire situation is, is just really kind of heartbreaking and terrible. A guy 51 years old, I'm sure we all know someone in our lives who's had a heart attack at this age. It's kind of scary. Um, the big controversy I think that came out of this is that it took 90 seconds after he had the heart attack uh, and they finished the match. So it seemed a little, you know, that in general seemed a lot, a little, uh, I don't want to say a little crazy, a lot crazy watching it in retrospect. Uh, Black Cherry, the referee, said he was really broken up on what happened, and, and particularly since the video was so heavily viewed, and he didn't respond immediately. Juventud Guerrero came out and said that he, after the fact he was made aware of maybe a, a, a condition that Silver King had going into the match that he wasn't aware of beforehand. And I think the biggest thing to take out of this is the uh, the fact that there's no commissions. You know, Most commissions in America don't have physicals or requirements before you even go into a, to a wrestling match. And this isn't just a Mexico thing. It's, it's here at home as well. And uh, if you think back to say Jerry, the King Waller, when he had his heart attack because of the staff that WWE has and, and what they do each week and how quickly they got to him, um, it could have been a very different story for someone like Jerry, the King Waller. So I, I you know, the big thing coming out of this is obviously uh, AEW and MLW have came out and said that they're going to, I guess take all of their referees and put them into different CPR trainings and, and ways to help in the ring. If something like this occurs, um, you know, two years ago, I think Rey Mysterio was in a match with something similar in Mexico where he hit a six one nine after a guy had a heart attack and, and passed away. It was a heavy news item. So it, it's a really crazy situation. Um, and it's not something that you can immediately fix, but hopefully it, it, it draws light to some of the working conditions and, People taking physicals before before these events, at least on you know a, a, like a quarterly basis, I would say every every quarter, every four months or so, um, making sure they're ring ready. Obviously, in, in WWE, it's not as big of a deal because they have such a huge staff and and they're constantly being tested and checked for injuries and being cleared to wrestle and all of that stuff. But this can really happen to anyone. I mean, it could have been out of nowhere. It is just a really really sad unfortunate situation anytime someone dies in the ring and you know he had just worked a, a few matches as the character Ramses from Nacho Libre and um, 
just a overall just a bad situation, man. And uh, I guess you know, rest in peace. Thoughts to his his friends and family, and yeah, just really sad all around. And, and a sad day in wrestling. Anytime someone passes away in the ring, it's it's terrible. Absolutely, and I think that's a bit very big and intelligent of AEW and uh, MLW to follow suit with uh, teaching their referees, um, you know, uh, CPR. But, um, yeah, we have to move on to another story that was uh, very scary, uh, but I, it seems to be okay. Um, you know, we got a report on this stuff, but basically uh, Ric Flair uh, – he was rushed to the hospital this morning um, for a medical emergency, apparently. And it also apparently wasn't as much of what TMZ, who is a source that broke it, uh, made it out to be. Um, I believe – I can't – I was looking while you were talking, actually, Chris, trying to find the headline, but I can't find it from TMZ that said, and it doesn't look good, or it was something on those lines that they put in parentheses on their article. Uh, now they have a new one that says that he should make a full recovery uh, because his wife uh, came out and made a statement uh, not too long ago. But uh, I'm glad that, you know, Conrad Thompson and a couple other people were like, whoa, 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 calm down, went and got the information and, you know, brought it out online. And we found finally word from his wife. I'm sure that there are – apparently this is something that he was going to go to anyways, like he had to go to the hospital for a specific thing. I don't know the situation where there was actually some more scarier things that actually were there, or if TMZ found out a report that he was going to the hospital for a visit that he already made, but just kind of ran with it. Um, I would love to believe that a media outlet would not try to do that, but then again, it's fucking TMZ, and I don't have a lot of good things to say about them, so I'm just going to just say that I'm very happy that apparently Rick's recovering. He's going to be at StarCast. And that's very good news. Chris, you heard the stuff. I think I'm the one who actually sent you the message to the link um, from CNN, I believe, was the one that I gave it to you. Or maybe it was USA Today, one of the bigger uh, publications. But uh, happy that Rick's okay, man, right? Yeah, very happy Rick's okay. I mean, we definitely had the scare back in 2017 that was was terrifying. I mean, they said he had a 5% chance to live. So when TMZ posted that he was immediately rushed to the uh, – emergency room obviously i freaked out a little bit and then uh like shortly thereafter conrad thompson came out and kind of broke the news that it, it, you know he was supposed to be having a procedure today we don't know exactly what that was tmz is still stating that as far as i can tell from their website is still stating that he was rushed to the hospital um, after sur- suffering a medical emergency um, even the, in their most updated post, but his wife says that he's, you know, expected to make a full recovery. So take that for what it is. To me, it seems like they were trying to make a buck off the fact that Flair almost died a year and a half ago, which is a real shitty thing to do. Um, but obviously, we hope Ric Flair the best, and uh, it's going to be a real cool star cast when he shows up there hopefully and uh, gets to hang out with all the fans and sign everything before we get to watch an awesome AEW pay-per-view the very first one so um you know i i it sucks for flair's family and the fact that his wife who's is going through this procedure with him and stuff has to come out and fucking do this just so 
the internet doesn't explode, but I mean, it is Ric Flair. He's the, I mean, definitely one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, if not the greatest wrestler of all time, probably the most relevant as far as at this point in time, you know, who's alive that's, it's going to break this kind of news. So it's, uh, it's sad, but, um, Hope like I'm glad to hear he's do, expect expect to make a full recovery and uh, yeah I mean it was every news site picked it up USA Today uh, some stuff on CNN I think he originally sent me like Channel Two news which immediately I I didn't realize that it was a TMZ report because Channel Two here in Atlanta um, is a local newscast so the link that I got was I thought that they had done the reporting and then the further I read it was like TMZ that broke the story which uh, yeah it's just it's it's just crazy. Rick has lived a very hard life, so breaking news like that, as a fan of Ric Flair, you're going – I mean I hate to ever think the worst, especially with him coming out the other side of a very dark time in 2017, um, but you can't help but have your mind go there when we've lost so many wrestlers over the past five, ten years. So it's uh, – hopefully the full recovery is true, and he'll show up at StarCast, sign some people's autographs, and – just keep being Ric Flair. That's all we can hope for. Keep on being the nature, man. <clears throat> and uh, speaking about StarCast, uh, that kind of goes, you know, it's, it's actually not a part of AEW like um, a uh, owner of another wrestling organization might think it is. But talking about StarCast, that has to do with AEW's, uh, you know, pay-per-view double or nothing. And speaking of AEW, Chris, we found out some information uh, at the upfronts about their television deal. Finally, after lots of uh, conjecture and rumor, um, you know, the one of the ones that was rumored basically on The Observer and, and most other outlets, uh, TNT will be the home of AEW. The station that hosted Monday Nitro, the network that hosted WCW before that, and then NW, well, Crockett before that, all the iterations, if you will, the same one that competed with USA and WWE for the Monday Night Wars, TNT, will be partnering with AEW. Uh, they had a – you can check on their Twitter. They have a big uh, press release. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just give you the, the headline. Warner Media partners with All Elite Wrestling for multi-platform launch of groundbreaking new wrestling. And within this, they, they stated at the upfronts that they want to – and stuff that we've been hearing – they want to make this very much more a sport-oriented. This is professional wrestling as opposed to sports entertainment. They want to really delve into wins and losses. Remember, Tony's a big fan of uh, Mid-South and a lot of the older NWA-based promotions. He's also an analytic expert. So he wants – and also Cody and all the other uh, – all the three other guys, the Young Bucks and uh, Kenny Omega, want it to be important with the win-loss Ratio. They want to bring a more sports-like product. I'm sure they're going to sell it fun. They'll still have wacky characters. Shit, Joey Ryan might might show up. It's, there's a lot of those possibilities. But for the most part, they're looking to be different than WWE. And we have many people. Um, I would definitely check out Busted Open. A great interview with Chris Jericho, just kind of going into his role and what he feels like going into AEW. And basically he said that this kind of like his swan song in the sense that he wants to he wants to be a part of a revolution and say that within his life, he was a dominant force in WWE, did all he could, and then started another huge, um, you know, company 
And you have to understand that Chris Jericho is probably their biggest name known signed to it. I would even say more so than Kenny or the Bucks um, in that matter. But either way, this is extremely exciting news. I can't wait. We don't have a day. Uh, I know they bought the rights to Tuesday Night Dynamite. I still love that idea. I don't know if they're going to do it on Tuesday nights because TNT mainly hosts NBA during their season. So that would definitely interfere with uh, their programming. Maybe just change it Wednesday Night Dynamite if they wanted to do that. I think Wednesday would be a great night. They've already said they don't want to be on the same night that WWE has programming. So we're literally looking at Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Thursday's another one. Who knows? Either way, I'm getting more and more excited about AEW. We'll go into some more details and stuff that we learn. But as of right now, Chris, we got TNT is now officially the network. AEW is going to have a weekly show. They have 52 wrestlers, I believe, on the roster right now. And everyone is seeming they're, – they're building an amazing creative team, amazing production team, amazing commentating team, a bunch of great talents. Um, how excited are you for AEW? I am super excited for AEW. Uh, it's, you know, the pay-per-view is coming out, so I guess right off the bat, the first thing we should say, since this will be after Money in the Bank, it's coming up next, not this weekend, but next weekend, right, is the pay-per-view and it is being booked as a full-price pay-per-view. So it's going to be available on Bleacher Report Live, as well as through your cable provider. I already saw, well, at least on AT&T, you can purchase it as of today, which is uh, full price, forty nine ninety five, which is what you know WWE was charging for their pay-per-views. Uh, I think they still charge that price if you aren't able to stream it on the network. Um, they obviously had already signed the deal with ITV, which is a bigger broadcast than Sky Sports, in the UK, and which we'll get to that in just a second. But, uh, I mean, the big thing that I read from the deals and, and all the conversation that's happening is that there's some similarities to what you know Vince is doing in the XFL where the TV network is actually going to be paying for the production of the company. So a lot of that overhead – is going to get covered and from you know some information from through the observer and a couple other places WWE was spending anywhere from 600,000 to a million dollars a week to put on Monday uh, night raw and if you're talking about a live show it's it's very expensive you're moving town to town you have production crew uh, obviously all the video packages there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that you probably don't think about uh, on a weekly basis, but you're looking probably more of the low end of that. I would say probably 250000 to $400,000, but still a lot of money that TNT is putting into this thing. So the belief there is they're going to want it to work. Um, it's also said that they're probably not going to make any money uh, right off the bat. They're thinking more around you know towards the end of 2020 is when you'll start seeing money in the black as far as financials go. Uh, there is an ad revenue split. Everything I've heard about that, it's super complicated. Um, it's not like 50% of the ad revenue. And um, there's no just straight paying for the title rights or anything like that with AEW. Like WWE gets paid because they're WWE, because AEW is a new company that doesn't really come into effect here. But, I mean, the news here is that they're they're backed by TNT. TNT is going to be doing what sounds like fronting the money for the production which is going to be a good amount. It's not going to look like something uh, you would see with Ring, with Ring of Honor, for instance, which is way lower budget. It sounds like they're actually going to put some money behind this thing. And 
you know, they announced this right before the pay-per-view. I'm sure we'll get some good stuff on being the elite. And the more and more we talk about this, the more and more I get excited for what's going to happen come October. Um, my assumption is going to be, you know, the NBA is already starting. Like you said, NBA on, uh, is on Tuesday nights on TNT. I think they'll probably end up doing Wednesday, but TNT has the perfect lead-in for the target audience, which WWE has been getting killed by. Uh, and the ratings with the NBA playoffs right now, which is a lot of uh, younger kids are super into the NBA right now. Like it's a hot thing to watch and uh, they'll be able to broadcast ads during NBA games and figure out a good way to handle that. And hopefully that'll lead them into watching on Wednesday night or, or Thursday night going for whatever they're going to do. But I mean, right now I, the smart date would be SmackDown's ending on the very, very end of what would be their go-home show in September, I think, is 924. So the very next week, you could have – you're going to have both SmackDown and AEW on the air more than likely, which would be, I think, you know, fucking crazy to say the least. But that's kind of the short end of that. There's obviously more breakdowns out there online. The big thing that, that should be debunked is that AEW is just completely losing their ass or they're paying for this television deal. That came out a while back, I think, from The Wrap reported that originally. Sounds like that's all bullshit. Um, and TNT is actually backing the production, which means they're not paying for television time. This is the official deal with split ad revenue. Where that revenue is coming from is super complicated, so I'm not going to try to like break it down based on what I've read. But um, the big thing for you to know this month is that pay-per-view is $50. So fucking put your money out there, watch the first pay-per-view, be a part of it, and uh, it's all exciting, man. Absolutely. I think the rap needs to stick to just movies and quit trying to get into politics and sports, but uh, maybe that's just me. Um, but, yeah, this is some more information. Uh, basically, uh, the press release, um, they said that they want a less scripted uh, soapy drama and more athleticism and real sports analytics, bringing a legitimacy to wrestling that has not previously had. Uh, wrestlers will also be given more freedom to explore their character and highlight their athletic ability introducing statistics uh to wrestling for the first time ever aw will raise the stakes for its matches and deepen fan engagement by tracking each competitor's wins and losses as a wrestler pursues championships analyzes their moves uh, assessing damage to their opponents and providing insight into the winning streak all elite wrestling is talent forward fan first league whose inclusive approach to creating high-quality athletic wrestling competition is already making waves with fans and attracting top-tier wrestlers. And you got to realize, I mean, these guys, All In was pretty much, I know that there was a lot of, of uh, you know, help between Ring of Honor and New Japan, but that was basically like their baby, the, the thing that started this. Um, and they sold it out in Chicago. Um and then, you know, because of that buzz, obviously I think a lot of us realize that the Madison Square Garden show for Ring of Honor New Japan, a lot of it was because of the a buzz of All In, not knowing that, well, basically Cody, the Bucks, Kenny weren't going to be a part of that. Um, they, I think, helped, I think people could say, be the first non-WWE company to sell out Madison Square Garden for Ring of Honor and New Japan. Um, and then you look at this, 
They were told you shouldn't do it in Vegas. You'd never sell it out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they do that too. So this is uh, proving something that if you take the diehards and you treat them well, they will expand because of word of mouth of this new type of entertainment that's in front of them. And, um, yeah, I'm not saying cater to fans because I think fans, especially the fucking audience members, sometimes can just be obnoxious and just, you know, even looking at something like Game of Thrones, like they want to write the goddamn series to make it the way they like. You know, there's a lot of people like that with every fandom, and it gets frustrating. But to an extent, you know, you should listen. If, if, if people like a certain person, you know, go with that person. Give them a chance. Don't fucking just, you know, set them on, light them on fire a little bit and then smash it with a boot out until they're, you know, smoldering. Um and I think that this company is going to change up a lot of things like that. Another cool thing that was stated, uh, you know, Nick and Matt Jackson made – now, I think they have 52 people part of the roster actively that are wrestling. Uh, and that's not counting their, their awesome comment, commentating team that includes JR uh, and Excalibur. I forgot what the other gentleman's name is. But, you know, I mean, you have probably the old school one of the best, if not the best, and new school one of the best, if not the best. Um, it's uh, the original producer. I heard Jr. talking about him. He's the one that worked for WCW. Uh, he worked for TNA, so they got a good eye for their product. I mean, that's very important to make it stand out. Um, that's one thing that WWE has. Um, and anyway, so Nick and Matt were asked about if 52 was it, basically, and Nick Jack- Jackson said, "Take a look at our roster. Those are all the guys we've wanted." There may be a couple that I can't talk about yet. We might be negotiating right now with some. We want surprises to happen, and we have a big show in 10 days, double or nothing in Las Vegas. And then Matt said to close it out, you never know who's gonna, who you're going to see in Las Vegas. So basically, this is a confirmation that we will see Dean Ambrose against CM Punk, and that's the hidden match that no one's going to know about until they start, because it would really make sense <laughs> to do that without promoting it. I mean, why not promote two huge stars like that? No, this uh, is going to be the secret, secret, secret match that goes on last after the pay-per-view is done for only – and maybe, maybe what they're going to do, actually, AEW is going to record this match, and then CM Punk and Dean Ambrose will never work for the company again, and they'll put it – the, the recording on, on some weird part of the internet and become another myth uh, like the Tom McGee Bret Hart match. I'm just fucking kidding, and we'll talk about that actually a little bit later. But Chris, uh, any of those statements uh, from what from what AEW said within their press conference or the statements from the Jackson brothers about some secret people uh, being at Double or Nothing? It seemed like they were not just hinting. There will probably be some surprises that we don't know about in Las Vegas um, I know a lot of people are going to go to Ambrose and Punk, but what do you think about all this? I mean, I would love the, if the surprise was they announced some kind of deal with fucking New Japan. Like, that would be great. And that just happened yeah. because promoting those stars isn't the same thing as promoting someone like Dean Ambrose or CM Punk. Though I definitely could see John Moxley showing up in some form or format on the show. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. Um, unless there's some kind of non-compete that I'm not aware of that he's still locked under, I, it would make a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, if oh, they I do that, to mention real quick, real quick, so we don't have to go back into it. Cause, but it is pretty cool information. 
Uh, Earl Hepner is going to be one of the referees. I don't know if his son will get a job too, um, but they've got the referee list, and the amazing Earl Hepner will be a part of it. One of the most controversial referees for doing twinning stuff and stuff over in Montreal, but still probably I would say up there with Red Shoes, one of the most well-known uh, referees in wrestling. I mean, yeah, and and they signed they signed some other people. There's a ref that they signed from PWG and a, and a couple other guys that are pretty well known. Um, having a good ref goes a long way, man. There's a lot of shitty refs Absolutely. that I think try to steal the show. In <laughs> matches in WWE, you've heard me bitch about it in the past. It drives me absolutely crazy. But uh, yeah, Errol Hebner, obviously a big name, one be part of the Montreal Screw Job, which just came back into relevance with Dark Side of the Ring. Um, you know, it's not a wrestler, but at the same time, people know who he is. Uh, it's not a, a bad signing, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. You know, he worked in team, TNA for years, and makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's a decent signing. Um, it, it's it's crazy. You know, the event's sold out. They're still on the black market, so to speak, or, or the scalp market that I absolutely hate. I think there's like a thousand tickets left as of right now. So if you if you are in Las Vegas and you want to go to the show, you can't get tickets. It just might cost you out your ass. Um, or an armor, yeah, like literally. The entire thing is exciting. I'm really looking forward to it, the, to the pay per view. I want to see what they do. I want to see the matches that, uh, how they structure these matches, where they throw that battle royal. I hope they don't do the battle royal right at the beginning of the show. I just think that's that would be parking back. I, I, I want to see them do something unique, whether it be the big Chris Jericho Kenny Omega match right off the bat, or, or something of that nature just to start the product off fresh and have a really good match. Uh, there was talk out there of it being, you know, Brian Pillman Jr. versus Ajushin Thunder Liger, which would be interesting. I, I don't see that happening. I don't put too much stock into that. But that would be just awesome. in general, I think it's going to be real fun seeing this pay-per-view. Super excited for the very first show or the very first uh, – actually, I think that was teased for the very first TV show. Sorry. So I take that back. That's, that's not a pay-per-view thing. Um, they were talking about teasing that for the very first show, similar to what they did on Nitro with Billman versus Liger as talking back about it. In general, um, fucking yeah, very excited, dude. I, I'm just looking forward to something different and something different that a company seems to care about, that has a production value, that has wrestlers that they like. Um, as far as it being more sports oriented, uh, oriented, we'll see how that goes. That's SmackDown's also supposed to be doing the same thing. It's just the more wrestling, the better. And um, I don't know. It seems like they're making the right moves, and that this thing is set up pretty well. Hopefully, uh, coming out of this pay per view, people are still as excited as they are right now with the TV announcement. That's that's the only the only thing. If if the pay per view is terrible, then I, I don't know how much excitement will be there, but with Omega and Jericho heading it up, you have you know the Young Bucks versus Pentagon and Phoenix for the for the AAA Tag Titles, you know, Hangman Page versus Pac, Cody versus Dustin. There, there's a lot of good shit on this show. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's it's going to be. I think that it's going to be bigger than people on the internet at least are are thinking. I think that just having something new on a different day that's not the same old WWE unless WWE changes really, really hard beforehand is just super exciting, and I think it's going to do a lot better than people are expecting. 
Absolutely. And the uh, breakdown on the referees, if you guys are interested, Aubrey Edwards, who's from Defy Wrestling, Paul Turner from Ring of Honor, PWG referee Rick Knox, and former Chicago referee Bryce uh, Remsburg will, uh, you know, be a part of Earl Hefner for the referee team. Um, I just think this is so fascinating. And we're about to go into another topic that's kind of that I'm going to transition to, but it's with the state of WWE. I don't think me, Chris, or many people that are in the know think the WWE is going to plummet. If uh, I know that AEW doesn't plan on going head-to-head on the same night with them. So I don't think it's a situation to that extent. But this will definitely light a fire underneath Vince's ass, hopefully. And hopefully he puts the fucking fire out and goes and sits in the background and lets you know Hunter take the helm within the next, I would say, five years is what I'm hoping. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but if you think about this, and you, it's so fascinating to me that we had in the 90s, we had WCW, which was a smaller company, um, and WWF really, you know, raising their stocks in the, in the late 80s. And WWE took a, a dive period, and we've talked about this, Chris. You know, WWE had in the 90s, the mid-90s, I would say, some really big names, but they didn't have anything like Hulk Hogan still you know they had great wrestlers they had great names but no one was like the face of the company or that superstar that kind of stood out among the rest until steve austin so you have people like Shawn michaels which is my favorite wrestlers is not a, a knock on sean brett the hitman hart owen hart you have you know all these incredible guys that are great in ring performers and you look at the landscape of wwe today same type of thing if Roman's The Undertaker, Seth's Sean, AJ's Brett, it's the same type of concept where you have a bunch of great wrestlers, but it's kind of hard to see a superstar among all of them. And now, you know, you take Chris Jericho, which I'm not trying to say is on the same level as a Hulk Hogan, but think about how Hulk had deflated a bunch, quite literally, physically, um, you know, before he went to WCW. His, his act was getting stale. Chris Jericho's a huge act from WWE and within the interview, you know, on busted open, he confirmed it was the, it was the fact that, you know, his match with Kevin Owens didn't uh, main event that really lit a fire under his ass that thinking like, wow, I've met my ceiling in the WWE. I'm never going to go past this. I either stay where I'm comfortable or I do something else. And he chose to do that. Now I have no idea if Dean Ambrose is going to be the macho man, Randy Savage. I have no clue if he'll be the next one, if you will. And if you think about it, the way that Savage went out, how Vince made that speech about him moving on and saying that they would miss him and stuff like that, um, and I believe they had some type of ceremony at Madison Square Garden for his last mat or his last time with the company. I don't know if he had a match or not. They gave Dean quite a fucking exit, but it looks looks at least that that could be the possibility. There's a lot of parallels right now. I don't think that Tony Khan. Cody, the Young Bucks, Kenny are going to be trying to be cutthroat like Eric was with Ted Turner. But at the same time, if you have this type of competition, it's going to push Ring of Honor and Sinclair to pump more stars into there and pay their guys more. It's going to pump you know, uh, Anthem to put more money into Impact and get some more stars into there. It makes those second, you know, the second tier, if you will, It gives them more. And then you have New Japan, who has now a chance to partnership possibly with AEW, with WWE, keep on going Ring of Honor. You don't know, but it definitely, I I repeat, it will definitely, to me, 
force Vince to figure shit out and fucking clean stuff up because it's getting ridiculous. Now with the wild card rule, we can have the Usos, who are Monday Night Raw acts. I don't think they're going to do it, but I'm just saying, technically, pretty sure this is non-title for the pay-per-view. In the pre-show, mind you, with Daniel Bryan, uh, which blows my fucking mind. But I'm, I'm, I'm assuming if they have a great match and even if, if the Usos win, then they probably will get a title shot. So you're telling me that the Raw guys could win the fucking SmackDown titles. What titles are on where? Who's on what? You're, it's, win-losses aren't, aren't a thing. It's becoming just fucking chaos. You know, the only difference, 90s WWE was catering towards kids and it got a little bit too cheesy. And I think that hurt it. You know, WCW started bringing more of an adult atmosphere with the NWO. Um, WWE would follow suit once they finally got their big name with Stone Cold Steve Austin that led them into the Attitude Era. You know, nowadays, I don't think it's the same thing as like early 90s, the next generation era of WWE. I just think Vince is throwing shit at the wall um, and seeing what can stick. Before I start going into this next next rumor, I'm going to classify it as a rumor, about Triple H being unhappy with stuff uh, involved with Vince in, in the back. Um, Chris, any last statements about AEW, how, what it's going to do to the wrestling industry, and how WWE will handle uh, the new competition on the block? Well, I will say, you know, the reason WCW did so well originally is that they booked a consistent show. Uh, the matches actually meant something. And it's also why WWE or WCW failed. They got away from that. They got away from consistency. They got away from shit actually meaning anything. And it's kind of where you're at in the landscape of WWE, like you just said, throwing shit against the wall. Like there's a – just recently I was watching an old school Mitro where, you know, the buildup for Sting versus Hogan was almost a year Think about that. Like the the stuff they were doing, consistent storylines, making people who win matches actually fucking matter. Like Goldberg's winning streak, which was at the time very fresh and very real, just demolishing people, was a huge part of what made WCW successful. And in some in some parts, you know, WWE took a little bit of that. WWF came back. They they had more consistent booking, and they had two huge stars. The Rock, Stone Cold, some you could even say, you know, Triple H came along. Um, Mankind, obviously, they built stars by doing consistent booking. Right now, they have nothing that's fucking consistent. They're trying to shove shit down our throats that we not necessarily are huge fans of. They have the weird wild card rule. They are just throwing shit at the wall to see if it sticks. They're not going anywhere by any means, but if AEW holds true and they book consistent storylines and have good wrestling and put out an actual show that's watchable week to week, then yeah, there's definitely huge fucking competition there. Uh, One other news, WWE also signed a new television contract in the UK uh, with BT TV that takes them off sky sports and puts them kind of on a lower watch TV station in general and uh, AEW, on the other hand, is signed to a larger station. So from the UK, technically you would have more eyes viewing AEW when it comes out than you would have SmackDown, which is kind of fucking nuts to think about. Doesn't mean anything. Just that's news that came out today. 
What I think is also a very appealing thing for wrestling fans is that obviously they they, they are apparently going for more of a sports oriented style of, of of programming, but they're still going to have factions. There's still going to be a baby face that takes on, you know, I just can't wait to see a new company try storylines to see what guys are going to be pushing, who's going to become the champion, you know, uh, whether it be Pac or Paige, who will be after that, who, how they're going to go about booking it. It's so fun and fascinating to have something completely different that has the money, you know, as much as I love watching MLW, Impact, I check out Ring of Honor, I, I try to check out progress shows when I get a chance to, uh, AAA shows sometimes, CMLL, obviously New Japan with their, with their pay-per-views that they have. But it's just not the same when you have someone that's like on the same tier money-wise, at least to back it, uh, that are, are looking at, into it like Tony is as an investment, Tony Khan. You know, it's, 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 a, uh, it's a very um, promising concept that, I mean, they could fail. Who, who fucking knows? They could. But what I'm saying is before that happens, we get to see another company try something new. And I guess to wrap this up and, and kind of go into what I was going to talk about next, Chris, do you think that if this is successful, that if the – because I do basically this is what I'm trying to get at. It, uh, do you think that if, if AEW is successful – that if their ratings are showing very well, that if WWE's still isn't really going up, especially when they move over to SmackDown, that uh, because the board can't do it, Vince obviously is the main shareholder, like the primary shareholder, it's in himself. Will that finally, especially the XFL and all the stress that will go on with that, will that finally be the last straw and Vince will step down and Triple H will take over within the next four or five years? Do you think that's possible? I think it's possible, but I, it's it's Vince, man. <laughs> That's all you can really say. For all we know, this could send Vince into a cutthroat mode where he gets rid of a bunch of dead weight, books a better show, kills the brand split, which I think hurts them a lot, keeps his top talent, and actually builds stars. And, you know, Velveteen Dream's still sitting there. There's a lot that Vince can do to make his show better. And the one thing I'll say about AEW being on TNT is if this goes off and it is successful, it makes all of wrestling better. Because if Vince has to start cutting weight to make his show better, those people are available for AEW. They're available for Impact. They're available for Ring of Honor. So my hope is that it makes all of wrestling better indirectly. <laughs> and you know, if that means Triple H finally taking over the reins – that would be awesome. Right now he's doing a he's he's booking two to three matches a week on NXT with, you know, two months of build going into Raw. It's Raw and SmackDown. You're doing a joint pay-per-view and it's four weeks of TV plus a pay-per-view. So we'll see how he, you know, how he actually does if he does take over the reins. That's a lot of effort. And we'll also see how AEW does. We don't know what their pay-per-view plan is going to look like. I'm hoping they space it out where it's quarterly and they're not doing a pay-per-view every month. I think that's something that really hurt impact. Um, well, yeah. And not only the, that, it's, it, it, but TNT doesn't have the best track record of, you know, trying to do uh pay-per-views with what happened with the uh, fiasco that was uh, the Nicholson uh, Tiger Woods match uh, not too long ago. 
So that's also something. They're they're new in that game, and maybe they won't go through TNT or Turner with their pay-per-views, but they got to figure out maybe a streaming source because I don't mind paying $50 for this, but obviously they want to be a part of the market around Chris. So, you know, they're going to have to find some way to get their pay-per-views out that's at a reasonable price, right? Yeah, I agree with that completely. Right now they're doing – it's – they're going to go through Bleacher Report, which I'm assuming is going to launch some sort of paid service for pay-per-views around this. Uh, if you want to watch this on the internet as opposed to you know through your television provider, but right now, like I said, I can walk downstairs and order the pay-per-view through AT&T. So it's it's going to be through cable providers and through Bleacher Report. We'll see. Maybe the digital version ends up costing less. I think that would be the right way to go. For me, I think you know the twenty to thirty dollar mark is right for a wrestling show. Um, with something like a UFC fight, they're doing the ESPN thing. If you equate that out per show or per fight, you would actually want to watch. Is it more or less? You have things out like like the the zone that does all the boxing. It's it's a weird thing. And I think the right thing to do if you start this out, people are more willing to pay $50 for a pay-per-view if it's quarterly as opposed to I got to drop $50 every month like it was when Impact came out. I mean Impact I think was uh, $40 for – I will say TNA. Let's go with TNA. We'll say it was $40 for standard def and $50 for high def, and they were doing a pay-per-view every one to two months, and I – you know, just from a booking standpoint, that's the one thing that Vince has done so well for so long is that he has continued to book this thing for forever. <laughs> and uh, with a pay-per-view, you got to have something that's worth watching and worth people paying for. And $50 is a lot to ask for. I think for this first show, obviously, it won't be a problem. But if you're doing this on a monthly basis, that's when it becomes a little harder and you start looking at maybe doing some sort of subscription service, especially when New Japan World is like $9. And you're going to be getting the same quality, if not better quality, matches. So a lot of it's going to go into the presentation of the product and, and what you put out there. Hopefully, like I said, they just make the pay-per-view special. Like Double and North, nothing is basically going to be the Royal Rumble. From what I can tell, you get a title shot if you win this Battle Royal, which has a crazy concept that's really interesting we talked about last week. But all that stuff is going to come into play, man, because asking me to spend $50 a month on a pay-per-view, it's going to be – in today's day and age, is going to be very hard when there's so many different places that you can watch pay-per-views and – other wrestling products that are out there that are giving me something that's cheaper that works better than uh, Bleacher Report. So if Bleacher Report stuff like stumbles and is bad, and a lot of people tune in to stream this thing, then that's going to indirectly hurt AEW whether they have the best pay per view of all time or not. You know, it's uh, that part is still sketchy um, to the point where I'm probably going to order it through the cable provider. You're welcome to come over, Dane. By the way. <laughs> as opposed to Bleacher Report, just because of uh, their history uh, with the Phil, Nic- like you said, the Phil Mickelson versus uh, Tiger Woods thing, where half that half of the people couldn't watch it, it crashed. They had to do a bunch of refunds. It's a uh, it's a learning experience, and and that's part of why New Japan and Ring of Honor have worked so well together, is because. You know they use similar streaming services, especially when they do those shows here in America. So that part of it is uh, still a little sketchy to me. And uh, as far you know, as far as the Triple H thing goes, I would love for Triple H to take over the reins, and maybe he would just be better at listening to the writers beneath him 
and hiring a continuity director, but for him to just like step up and just be in Vince's shoes and do everything that Vince is currently doing, it's not an easy task. I, you know, we give Vince a lot of shit on the show, but when you think about it, you're booking two different shows, five hours a week, plus your pay-per-views at the end of the month and you're building towards WrestleMania. It's a fucking lot. (laughs) And uh, when you see your ratings dropping, that, even puts more stress on you. So it could just be, you know, with the XFL coming up, that might just have to be what it is. I would say the best thing for him to do is give Triple H SmackDown when it moves to Fox. And because NXT is already like what Fox is asking for, in my opinion. Um, more sports oriented stories make more sense. Wins and losses make more sense. It would make sense to put him in control like he did Paul Heyman and see what Triple H can do there. And if he nails it there, then yeah, I, I, I I have no problem with it, but just it's a good thing to keep in mind that Triple H was part of the clique, and there was a lot of stuff that came out of that that wasn't very good either. NXT has been really good, but I think that he's been blessed with a lot of talent that they've signed, and uh, yep, they've kept it real simple as far as how their storylines go. And like I said, it's a it's a filmed what is it a one hour televised like you know recorded show as opposed to like this is live anything can go wrong someone can miss a flight oh shit what do we do they hate this person um it's it's just so hard to think vince just completely stepping down unless someone proves themselves first which is why i said you know putting i i think i originally said paul Heyman, which was a bully ray idea putting someone like that back in charge of smackdown but maybe that guy is triple h and you give him the reins when this thing switches to Fox and you see what happens. Because I don't think that's a bad idea. Obviously, I think Vince being there to oversee is not a terrible idea either. But, you know, having a head show writer that actually has, at the end of the day, the call, which it was, I mean, technically it was Stephanie, but it was definitely Paul Heyman from a writing perspective from 2003 to, I think, 2005 in SmackDown, the best SmackDown, some would say. Um, but yeah, I. I could see it happening, but also if XFL does bad, it's just going to gear Vince McMahon to make WWE better like it did last time, which is kind of where you get ruthless aggression with Evolution and uh, you know Batista and Brock Lesnar. So who the fuck knows? Vince is weird. I, he knows right now that it's not working, and they're trying things. And if they just get one star, you know it's going to be a rocket ship. But right now, it's it's in a weird spot. Yeah, I'm just worried when that rocket is uh, headed down towards the earth, basically, about to collide with it, because the thing is, and I I completely agree with you, especially about, you know, taking those shoes specifically from Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon, but here's the thing, and, and, you know, this even goes more so with ratings, it's like when we get to the the time period where we have pay-per-views for AEW, we've had NXT pay-per-views takeovers that have done better than the pay-per-view the next night as far as viewership. What what if AEW and NXT both surpass the fucking Raw and SmackDown pay-per-view? I mean, that's something that's going to expose things, and I think that even if the situation, I think that's brilliant to give Triple H SmackDown, but then what if SmackDown showing such a great product that USA is like, hey, what the fuck is this shit that you're giving us when you got that going over there? I think eventually... I'm not saying that necessarily – well, yeah, actually, I do want it. I love Vince, but what he's doing right now to his own product is just completely destroying it. Um, at the same time, it's like shit or get off the pot. 
and I think I would rather someone taking over that reins. Um, but it's it's crazy. It kind of goes into uh, this the story. Um, basically, on uh, Wade Keller's Pro Wrestling Post Show podcast, um, a caller called in. I wish, guys, I tried to get the name. Someone was talking about him online. Apparently, it's it's a it's a good source. Someone that uh, gets information, and he's got a couple friends that are writers. And he was telling Wade um, that they were letting him that they were letting him know that basically Triple H is extremely frustra- frustrated with Vince just in general. Um, uh, one of the quotes that he said is that he'll always take uh, the NXT guys under his wing. It looks like he's counseling them. It looks so much like he was the most frustrated person in the building every single night in front of these writers. Um, and he would go on to say that what, what culture actually said this back in February that they were hearing from different people that McMahon and Triple H have a really weird dynamic going on and that they're a lot of times at each other's throats. Um, and um, I'm trying to find another quote from this. Uh, man, I had all these these prepped. But yeah, he's he's frustrated mainly. He said that WWE programming in the aftermath of uh, w, WrestleMania 35 was just all over the fucking place. Uh, the superstar shakeup changed on a weekly basis, which we all witness. Which McMahon making changes on the fly as several wrestlers switched from brand to another brand. I don't think anyone really knows the roster for Raw and SmackDown at this time uh, during the shakeup. Additionally, it was noted that Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live used to have separate writing teams but are now being handled by the same group of writers and the last person in charge of that writing who, like we've already said and we've uh, you know broadcasted the last couple of weeks, this uh, is like changing things the day of. We have Road Dog who said, fuck this. I'll go as a road agent. I don't want to fucking be the main writer over at SmackDown. He's driving me crazy. And now he's not even doing that. He's on a vacation. I'm not saying he's not coming back. Uh, we've had two writers, like we've already previously said, quit recently. Both of, both of them just were done with this. We have lots of wrestlers asking for their release. Um, you know, I think that I'm assuming the same island that fucking Road Dog's chilling off of, Sasha Banks is hanging out at. I don't know. This is not good. If you lose superstars, if you hurt your television opportunities, if your numbers are going down on your own, you know, streaming platform, I, I just don't know how you do anything except for get the person that's causing that out and try to get someone in in some type of way. I mean, this guy in the 90s during the steroids trial was about to give the company over to Jerry Jarrett. Obviously, big fucking difference now, but I'm just saying, I don't understand, you know, he's 74. Three, he's seventy three to seventy five. In the next eight, five years, we're, we're talking pushing eighty years old. Regardless, time's got to catch up to him. And I, I don't mean death because I think Vince is going to live to a hundred, but you can't expect someone to be that creative when they're getting that much older. I don't even think it's his problem. His ego's his problem, but he's a very brilliant man, and you know, pride can do that to you. So, Chris, you hear about these reports? Like I said, this is a rumor. There's no confirmation. I've heard um, um, I've heard not Dave Metzler but Brian um, talk about this on the morning show on the Observer, just kind of referencing it because once again we don't have a 100% confirmation. We've just heard Wade Keller's source say that you know, and apparently Wade and other people believe this guy. Um, so if that that's the case, Chris, what do you think? I mean, it's kind of obvious that we would assume Triple H can't be happy about NXT. 
and programming getting changed all at the last minute since he's right under Vince, you know? Yeah, I mean, I if I was him, I'd be a little frustrated too. I mean, I, you know, as crazy as it sounds, one thing that I feel like the WWE suffers from right now is they have too much talent and they don't know what to do with it. And instead of focusing yep. on one star, split way too far out. And that is one thing Triple H has done very well, even with, you know, he does have a good amount of talent in NXT, but he does a better job of utilizing them. Uh, that's the thing, right? You have superstars asking left and right to leave because there's nothing for them to do. Is You have three hours of Raw. There was just so much shit involved in this. I, there's no way you couldn't see Triple H getting frustrated with, you know, DIY being brought up or Aleister Black and, and uh, Tommy End, fucking Aleister Black and uh, Ricochet being brought up and them just being thrown in random tag matches instead of being brought up as big stars. He's like, I built these guys for you. People know who the fuck they are. And that would frustrate me as well. The thing about Triple H is that he is married to Vince McMahon's daughter. He works for fucking Vince McMahon. He's always worked for Vince McMahon. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if he's pissed off or not. He's not going to leave and go start his own fucking company, uh, <laughs> which is kind of more of the problem, I guess, than anything else. I I would think that eventually if the ratings fall hard enough that Vince will – say, hey, I'm too old for this shit, one would hope. I think it's more likely that he trims the flat, uh, the fat, squashes the brand split, narrows the roster down, and then does give more input to writers like Triple H and maybe brings in someone like Gabe Sapolsky or uh, fucking Paul Heyman or someone else or just any booker that's not him. Maybe uh, I can't think of the guy from PWC's name right now. He does something different. Um but hes I don't think he's ever going to just completely hand over control, especially when it comes to WrestleMania and booking stuff so far out ahead. It's uh, its a weird dynamic and situation, but like you said, he is getting older. And maybe, you know, if they if they not nosedive hard enough, that'll be the thing that will force the change. That was the thing that, you know, forced him to really listen to Cornette and, and even Russo to some extent during the Attitude Era and maybe AEW being there is what will make him step up the game. But I think the, the thing that's hurting them the worst is they have a brand split that's not a brand split. They have too much talent, um, which sounds fucking absolutely crazy, but they, they treat everyone the same, except for maybe Roman. Um, and he just it, – it's, it's not consistent week to week. There's, that's, that's the biggest problem. I think I think a lot of their problems we talked about on last week's episode, which are things that are easy to solve. You know, try to book stars, try to make a star. <laughs> you know, like uh, I don't know, throwing Daniel Bryan into a fucking tag team. It's not necessarily the best thing in the world to do for for you when you're getting your rating shit on, in my opinion. Um, that's an example, but you know, it it is what it is. That's kind of where we're at. Um, Maybe once XFL starts, we'll we'll see what happens. But I, I think the big change is going to be going to Fox, having to produce something completely different that Vince isn't used to. He's going to have to take over the reins of Raw and come up with something completely different for SmackDown based on what Fox is saying they want. So that might actually be the change that's needed. 
And maybe he's like, I can't fucking write this. And he does hand it over to Triple H. But I, I honestly believe that, you know, if he sees that SmackDown is doing a fuck ton better than Raw, if that happens, if that ever happens, then you'll definitely see uh, see some sort of change or at least see him change his mind on how things should work. But, yeah, right now, like I said, I think he's just in full panic mode. And uh, we're going to have some some bad wrestling up until probably SummerSlam when they decide to bring Brock back in <laughs> would be my guess because that's been the oh, go-to. Jesus. We'll put the title back on fucking Brock, which honestly taking he, the he, title off Brock hey, and giving it to Seth didn't do dick. It hasn't done no, anything for them. And they haven't done Brock anything Lester. with Seth to make him look like a star. <laughs> Brock Lesnar to Vince McMahon is what Vince Sr., had with Bruno San Martino. Brock is a legitimate badass. He's obviously Bruno was a babyface and Brock's a, a but he just sees legitimacy with Brock. He knows he can sell sell out places. Everyone can bitch about him being the fucking champion. He draws and smackdowns. If he's on the bill, it does better. Uh, same thing with the pay per view. So I I completely see that happening. It it's just a crazy situation because the way they're building the back, I mean you know, you have a chance that eventually when, you know, with the writers, and honestly, condense the fucking writers. You know what it sucks is that apparently the writers are not really even the ones to blame, that this is all Vince, because he changed stuff up, and that we shouldn't. Still, at the same time, I do agree that I don't mind having television writers a part of it, but it wouldn't be bad to have people that are also wrestling, you know, minded also, you know, or a combination of both. And I'm sure they do to some extent, but it just, it lacks... And like I said, Vince is the last one to get there. I think the opportunity for you know Hunter, Paul, whatever you want to call him, uh, to be there when we already have Kurt Angle set in there, and he already said that he wants to be kind of like the Pat Patterson or Gerald Briscoe to this generation of wrestlers, to be that type of producer that can really work on matches and do that. Sean's already doing that for Triple H, anyways, and I'm sure that if Hunter, you know, needed him, uh, he would also kind of make that transition as well. It just it's getting to the point where it's like, man, I mean, especially with AEW. We don't know if AEW – and I, I can't stand it when people act like AEW is going to be the next fucking huge thing. We have no – nothing to prove that upon. We need to chill, calm ourselves, pump our brakes. But you can't blame us at the same time as wrestling fans to get the product that we get consistently with WWE lately, and it just fade to – Obscurity, you know, we don't we don't even know what the hell's going on. I don't know what the rosters are. I don't know what titles are on which shows anymore. You know, it's just storylines. You know, uh, shit. Fucking Finn Balor, the IC champion. I'm pretty sure just got beat. Like, there's not a lot of stuff that makes sense at all with the, their booking, and that's something that I think at one time when he was younger, Vince had a heck of a lot more of a hand on. Uh, but anyways. We got some more stuff to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, Chris, we got to talk about this whole Lars Sullivan thing. Uh, so Lars, <sighs> Lord. All right. So um, Lars Sullivan had this, uh, AK. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say this is why you don't say things you can't take back on the internet, folks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and basically so. Um, and someone compiled all these posts on a Reddit thread. Um, Sullivan had some extremely offensive, sexist, 
uh, homophobic, racist, and also anti-mental uh, disorder, which since he had to take a break due to anxiety attacks, that kind of correlated originally when they first came out. Uh, it's kind of weird in retrospect that, you know, he, he said some stuff about um, people with mental disorders. But all the information's there. It's all on the Internet. This kind of was swept under the rug, and then it got more uh, brought in the, the mainstream again when someone asked Big E about it on Twitter. And Big E just said, um, you know, asking about the statements with what uh, regarding Sullivan and what, what he said on those uh, forums. Many are aware, if true, he has to bear the arbitros of being a bigot and working in a company that is now filled with minorities, which I think is a very intelligent um, and a very, very good way of saying that. And I, I, I respect the shit out of Biggie uh, for putting it that way. And um, he's very right. I, I do agree. A statement was made now by WWE. Uh, WWE supports culture of inclusion regardless of gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, uh, and we are – committed to embracing all individuals as demonstrated by diversity of our employees, performers, and fans worldwide. WWE's uh, said that Dylan Miley, a.k.a. Lars Sullivan, will be fined $100,000 and required to compete sensitivity training for offensive commentary uncovered from the past. WWE will also facilitate meetings for uh, Dylan with community organizations to foster further discussion uh, around the power of social media and the impact of your words. And also, uh, last Friday, Sullivan said there's no excuse for the inappropriate remarks that I made years ago. They do not reflect my personal beliefs, nor who I am today, and I apologize to anyone I offended. Uh, there was also statements uh, that this might have been him and his other... Some of them, the less offensive ones that he said were from about, like I think, like maybe early this decade. Uh, some of these are over... 10 years old uh, back when he was in early college. So apparently like him and a bunch of the fraternity brothers would go on and talk shit at message board. Um, this is a shitty situation. You know, Lars was getting one hell of a push and stuff like this will definitely hinder you uh, from your push in WWE because of the, you know, the society that we live in today, which is a good thing. You know, I think, um, and, Man, like you said, Chris, if it's on the internet, it's on the fucking internet, and people are going to be able to find out. Now, do I personally do I personally think that he's just a bigot and that he didn't learn from anything? That he just apologized for the hell of it, and that he's such a you know an evil? No, I don't. I don't believe that. I, I'm sorry. I I choose to believe that if someone apologizes and they try to build towards a different future, that just because of statements, especially. Even if it wasn't fucking funny, in a joking matter, in trying to do that, that it kind of at the same time, it, it sucks that that can affect you. Another good example of that, you know, I don't think James Gunn is a pedophile. But all those comments that surfaced that he said some pretty derogatory, disgusting things involving that in tweets, and that obviously kind of hurt him for Guardians of the Galaxy. They've mended that. But I think people can change. I think people can. Um, I think people can say something in the heat of the moment that they don't necessarily mean. I think that people can try to go for dark humor that doesn't work or land, especially with today's landscape. Um, but at the same time, let's let's see what he does. Let's see what they do with him and progress forward from that. 
I know a lot of the flack, and I completely understand because I've heard the fucking audio with Hulk Hogan and the Gawker stuff. But at the same time, you know, listening to one of the more recent Booker T um, podcasts, he had Hulk on. They talked about everything. He did apologize to many people, confirmed by Booker T. And the day that it happened, that it got released, he was on Booker T's show immediately trying to explain himself. And Booker T, you know, and Booker T doesn't have, doesn't mean that every you know African American or person that got offended by him has to, you know, forgive him. But there, for the longest time, we had the narrative that he wasn't trying anything and he wasn't doing this and what. I'm just saying that I choose to believe that you know Lars Sullivan or Hulk Hogan aren't a racist, that Kevin Hart isn't a homophobe, and that you know James Gunn isn't a pedophile because of statements they made in their past that even if they meant that. They can get past that, you know, and, and change and be a better person. I would like to be that naive. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Lars, $100,000 for how much he's making, especially when he was getting a push, but this might affect his push. That is a lot of fucking money. I think regardless, he's going to learn his lesson, and he should. Uh, Chris, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, so the entire situation is a, is a bit weird. There's bigotry. There's sprinkled in what I would call make make America great again uh, type politics. It's it's all over the board with the things that popped up on this one forum. Um, obviously, you would hope that he's grown up a bit and that that may have just been him in his pissed off adolescence or. Whatever. I think the problem is when you have a competitor like Big E, who is a big name, come out and say, WWE was already aware of this. And the issue is the company is reactionary instead of proactive. If proactively they're like, we're putting this guy in sensitivity training, he has these problems, we need to get him checked on. That goes a lot more if you get out if you get out in front of something, it goes a lot more than being reactionary. So Hogan apologizing after the Gawker video had already leaked is reactionary. It's not like as soon as he said it, he was like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have said that in the same video. So the problem is is yes, everyone changes and you can be a better person. I think anyone can become a better person. You can Obviously, there's things you can do in your life. There's different scenarios you could be going through um, that would cause you to act like an asshole when normally you're a really nice person. More of the problem is the fact that if the company truly knew about this, how long did they know about this? And at some point, it almost becomes a little bit of a cover-up where you're not taking action beforehand. Um, and you know this has got it's not just wrestling. This has happened in the NFL and, and no. other places well, where this I kind think, of shit I happens. The, I think the example that I was giving with James Gunn, Disney knew for years that James Gunn did that, and he apologized originally about those posts years before they got put in the public domain, basically, and then Disney fired them. So same thing with WWE with this. They knew about this. They were aware of it. Maybe not as long of time. But they're reacting, like you said, they're, they're, they're making a reaction based on basically Lars getting caught by the public. Yeah, and, and I think the part that bothers me the most as far as how their disciplinary action works is that Titus O'Neil at one point touched Vince McMahon's shoulders and got suspended for three fucking months 
and this guy is getting a $100,000 fine, and what we think is sensitivity training, and he's still going to be pushed because he was definitely on fucking SmackDown on Tuesday. So how are you supposed to feel about that as a fan if you're looking at it from the total picture of this guy got suspended to move Vince McMahon out of the way from his daughter, Titus O'Neil, super fucking nice guy, right? Touches Vince McMahon, gets suspended for 90 days, and this guy's post that they knew about already <laughs> gets no suspension, gets fined. What I have to consider maybe an imaginary $100,000 because it's wrestling and sensitivity training. They've never done this in the past. It's WWE. They fucking will do whatever the fuck they want, and he's going to be booked to the moon still. So it's one of those things where it becomes more of a problem with the actual company than it does with the person who made the comments because if you're just saying we knew about this and we didn't do anything about this, that makes you look like a really shitty place to work. We'll we'll go with that. Yeah, I mean – I don't know. I feel I feel uh, I feel similar, but also different when it comes to certain aspects of it. So, um, kind of like the Tuesday they showed up was a pre-recorded thing from before that this started really, you know, becoming a a, a big deal. So that might have something to do with it. You might not see Lars on the next SmackDown or off for a while, and I'm pretty sure he is getting fined a hundred thousand dollars. I don't think that's bullshit. It's how yeah, they're doing we, it since obviously he can't afford it. So that was more of just like a sarcastic remark. Maybe he really is getting fined $100,000, but there should definitely be a suspension. If you're going to suspend someone for touching Vince McMahon's shoulders, then this kind of action in any other sport in general that comes out and leaks to the public will require at least a suspension, if not you getting fucking fired. Enzo Amore was committed, like, like can, well, accused of a crime that he did not commit that got dropped. And he was fucking fired the next day. So yep. just be consistent with how you handle things like this, and that goes a long way. I know I'm asking a lot of WWE, but at some point they're a $6.2 billion company that's publicly traded. And if I'm one of the people that has highly invest, like highly invested in WWE, I would want them to try to get ahead of this kind of shit, especially in today's Absolutely. You know, to, you know, in this day and age, and you can't just be reactionary for everything. Like the the Saudi Arabia stuff has enough heat on them already without stuff like this coming out. Especially if, as Big E said, officials already knew about it. So, what that actually means? Does he mean that they knew about it three hours before it leaked to the internet, or does that mean that they knew about it? You know, fifteen months ago. Who the fuck knows? At the same point, the punishment has to be equal to the crime, and WWE doesn't follow suit on that. Like, uh, it's – I don't know. It's fucking crazy. It, they're pushing him, so I doubt he's going to get any kind of suspension. I'm sure he'll be on SmackDown. They're going to just probably gloss over this and hope that people forget because it's wrestling. And and that's my faith in how this company is going to handle it, and you know – it's it's WWE, so it's it's always been a fucking weird thing on how they handle any sort of situation like this. This is like also the people that may have helped covered up a Jimmy Snuka murder. If we're going to get into conspiracies, in the steroid trial, there's a lot of shit. 
<laughs> if you really look into WWF slash WWE, you could point to and go, maybe that company is not ran by the most sane person in the entire world, as we've talked about earlier. That's very true. Uh, we'll have to find out, um, you know, from Lars within the future of what happens. Uh, but let's move on to our next topic. Uh, a very interesting documentary uh, that came on the network. It was publicized um, about the the notorious match of Bret Hart and Tom McGee. Um, I would definitely check it out. It was a, it was a well. I, I think the documentary was more um, more fun than the actual match itself. But story it is back in I believe like ninety one, ninety two, early nineties, where Vince was trying to figure out who is going to progress the company after Hulk Hogan. Um, and uh, he was looking for someone. We all know Vince has a certain look about them. He wants usually big buff bodybuilder type guys that he can kind of sculpt into wrestlers. And this gentleman, Tom McGee, Canadian based wrestler, um, very, very, very athletic, um, you know, much more so in a gymnastic style sense than it comes to wrestling or I, I think he was actually – I think he was known for gymnastics and bodybuilding, so I don't even know sports-wise. Um, but anyway, so the funny retrospect and the, 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 the story itself is that Vince saw a lot of potential in Tom McGee. He wanted to make him like the next big thing. Uh, I think that very much he had the same – same fucking eye for Ultimate Warrior and Lex Luger uh, within the same time period where body was blinding him more so than actual in-ring talent. And Tom McGee actually, especially for some of the stuff that he was doing back then, very impressive. He was able to do some really cool spots. But let's be honest, the reason why Brett was sent in there to see if he could get a good match out of him and the reason why the match was good, it was because of Bret Hart. His selling, his feeding, you know, making him look like a million bucks – getting smashed into a turnbuckle and just making it look devastating, going along with it just from knowing a couple things that Tom could do prior to the match. He would have um, another match, never a, a televised match, but another dark match with Ted DiBiase was really well. Ted DiBiase, great technical wrestler. Uh, so when he got apparently in the ring with people like that or Mr. Perfect or uh, Kerry Von Erich, he put on – pretty damn great matches on dark matches, but if he went against someone else that wasn't as up to that level, it was the drizzling shits apparently. And Tom McGee never made it. Um, I think it was like four or five years later, he was done with WWE. They, they never put him on television. Uh, he was basically like a overglorified jobber, but this match, the reason why it has so much merit to the wrestling community is that during my time, tape trading was the thing. We didn't have this thing called the internet back then and when we did it still wasn't what the fuck it is today so a lot of tapes were traded back then now me for some reason the only tape trades that i really got were like ecw or fmw the uh, crazy fucking japanese organization um from uh oh man i can't remember the wrestler's name onita that onita started which has like cactus jack and terry funk and fucking landmine matches i don't even like hardcore wrestling but being a wrestling fan back then, if you could just get something that was different, that wasn't the same thing, it just was a very cool alternative to watch. And we didn't have like AAA playing, you know, where we could just go watch it or New Japan or, or any of those things. Even ECW was very hard for people to find uh, during that time period. So this was a Mecca item. 
This was higher than the notorious uh, curtain call at Madison Square Garden, that footage. This was higher than certain other things that were very, very hard to find. This footage was found. They redid it, and they aired it, and it had Tom McGee, Bret Hart, X-Pac, a lot of different workers and wrestlers during that time period that were just talking up the uh, the story itself of the notorious video and now how it was finally found. And it was it was a good match. I think it was like a seven minute match. It wasn't it wasn't too long. It was a really, really good first showing for this guy, especially like I said, very impressive before his time with some of the backflips and, and stuff that he did uh springboard wise off the turnbuckle. Very, very cool. But honestly, if you watch it, Bret Hart's making him look like a million bucks. And it's funny because they didn't think about Bret until a couple of years later and they finally fucking put the belt on him. So either way, it was a fun documentary especially if you were a part of the tape trading culture back then. Um, I didn't know about the video. I, I, it was like so legendary. I knew of it, but I didn't know what the fuck it was. I didn't get the, I didn't really get the grasp on it until years later. But uh, Chris, I know that you did some tape trading. Did you know about this? How'd you like the documentary? And also how'd you like the match? So this thing was a unicorn, right? No one had it. Even when the internet became super pro. Uh, prevalent in uh, downloading and, and even before you get YouTube and, and uh, you know, daily motion and all that stuff. Now that we have um, or the WWE network, you can still download stuff, but this one was one that was just always very, very, very hard to find. And I think someone ended up like someone in the heart family ended up finding it. Cause it was, it was kind of like an audition, weird, dark match, um, but back in the day, a lot of these tapes would get traded around by wrestlers. Wrestlers could request tapes from different people who had audition matches so that they could study how they work. And like WWE recorded pretty much everything. But this one was kind of like a, a unicorn. Like I said, just something very mystical that was out there. The match itself was what it was. I mean, it, it's Bret Hart looking at a guy and, and saying, all right, this is what I know this guy can do. I'm not going to ask him to do any more or any less, and I'm going to try to drag a good match out of him, which is which is what makes Bret Hart so fucking great. You'll watch a lot of matches with Bret Hart having, you know, against someone like Crush, who I think is a terrible wrestler. <laughs> Bret Hart could still have a good match with him. Like Bret Hart's amazing in that sense of knowing where to draw the line on what you're actually going to try to fucking do in the ring. Um, and and that's what this match is. But it's it's more related to just the fact that. <laughs> It's one of those one of those things that wrestling fans have always kind of wanted to see because they thought this guy was going to be the next Hogan after this match. He was going to be the next big guy. I mean, he had the look. Um, it is a weird, weird thing. I can't even think of another tape that's talked about more than this one has been. Uh, even back back when I was doing tape trading for Raw, ECW, and and. Uh, Nitro, even a, you know, going back as a kid, like I would film Nitro. My friends would film Raw or ECW, and we trade them. We even ship stuff in the mail and go to video stores and Pendergrass Flea Market above Gainesville, Georgia, to try to buy tapes. <laughs> um, this is one that always kind of just eluded people. Like I have stacks of VHSs, and this is uh, this is definitely one that's always been out there as the most talked about. I think even. Uh, Alvarez and Melcher had said this is one this is one that they've had a hard time finding and, and Melcher has a collection of fucking tapes from everywhere. Um 
So it's just kind of crazy. It finally came out. I thought the documentary was really well done. And it's like I said, it's more just talking about how they didn't realize how great Brett was going to be versus uh, just the glossed over look of like, look how amazing Tom McGee is. And it's kind of just a, a funny story of what happens in wrestling. And you can probably look at a lot of wrestlers in the past, someone like a David Otunga that completely has the look and is athletic and is should be this huge star that no one connects with. He can't have a good match and no one cares about it. Or, or Mason Ryan, for instance, is another Vince big guy that I thought he was decent in the ring, but by no means where, where they were trying to push him um, versus someone like Brett, who is really good in the ring and, and conveys a character and, and shows that. And, you know, as big as Vince, uh, you know, Brett was considered by a lot of people, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, not necessarily me, um, but it's it's a thing of kind of legend as far as wrestling goes, and, and that's what made it really neat. So I, I would definitely, if you haven't watched it, check it out. It's on the network. It was a it was a fun watch for sure. The match itself is it's not going to blow you away, especially if you're not super into classic wrestling. But uh, it was it was fun, and, and uh, I thought the commentary they had on it was really well done. And I believe Tom McGee is actually uh, Kenny Omega's um, real dad because they look a lot alike. Um, I'm just kidding. They're not really related at all. But um, I unfortunately have to uh, reveal some uh, sad information on the air. Um, Professional wrestler Ashley Masaro uh, passed away. Um, You guys might know her. She was back in um, WWE from 2005, 2006. She had a... uh, basically a few with Molina. She won the uh, WWE Diva Search in 2005. Um, beautiful, beautiful lady. Uh, and they just, like this is just now coming out. Um, they just found her in her home. There's no information on what happened, but she was only 39. So that's pretty tragic. I didn't know a lot of Ashley's work. I think I was kind of cutting out on wrestling right when she came on the scene. But that's... Um, terrible to hear about anyone uh, passing away, especially so early. Uh, Chris, any words? I specifically remember her being a valet for Paul London and and Brian Kendrick when they were a tag team, who I thought was a phenomenal tag team. She wasn't there that long. Everything else I remember about her was of this time period, which involved a lot of Playboy with WWE. Um, In this era, there was a lot of people that did Playboy, and, and that's not that it stands out in my mind. I can't tell you what the cover looks like or anything, but I do remember that being a thing. Um, it's very sad. She's obviously very young. Um, it's terrible thing to hear. And um, yeah, just it's, it's, it's so crazy. Uh, we've had what this is, I guess we would consider two wrestling deaths and less than a week and a half. So that's, that's not so Thoughts go out to her family and friends, obviously, and uh, yeah, just just really crazy. Sorry there's not a lot more uh, thoughts I can think about her other than her just being a manager for Paul London and Brian Kendrick. I, I, I didn't really watch the Diva Search stuff that they did. I know it came on, and they would bring people out on the ramp, but it's just not something I ever really paid attention to, and I think that points to WWE doing a way better job of how they treat female wrestlers for the most part um, in modern day. Let's, let's go with that. Yep. Uh, just condolences to her family and friends. I saw that. 
while I was picking up our next article and just had to say something. She's obviously wrestling-related, so rest in peace, Ashley. Um, all right, man, uh, let's go over this card uh, for, uh, whatchamacallit, um, TLC. I don't even remember the fucking matches. i got to be honest with you. I've been so not giving a shit with this buildup. Which sucks. I really enjoyed WrestleMania, but it just none of this. It's you know, if you think about it, Money in the Bank's kind of replacing Survivor Series in a lot of way for one of the big four. Not because of it being older or from that same time period, but Survivor Series literally, with me and Chris have talked about it at length, it has no real value to the wins. It's just kind of like a gimmick match that there's nothing for the winner. Uh, whereas this obviously you know, sets up a person either the night of or at some point to be able to, to challenge instantly for the title. So you would think that my enthusiasm would be here, Chris, but it really is not at all. Um, but uh, let's, 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 let's go over some of these matches. All right. I can't believe this. Uh, we talked about this earlier. So you talked about Daniel this Bryan, earlier. I didn't know about this until just now, and I'm fucking heated looking at this card. So the first match on the card we'll talk about is uh, Tony Nese, uh versus Arya Davari. Well, I'm assuming this will be the first match because I can't see the other one being the first match. Because um, the order that we have, we don't have the, mat, the actual match card order. That's not out yet. We just have the matches themselves, so I'll, I'll just kind of – you know, go by the seam of my pants on this. But um, Tony Nese, the champion, the Cruiserweight champion, going against Ari Davari. They're not taking the championship belt off Tony Nese. I think Ari Davari is an incredible worker. Um, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I think they're going to build Tony for a while until they get someone a little more suitable to put the championship gold on. Do you see anything differently with that, Chris? I don't at all, and I'm very surprised they've done nothing with Buddy Murphy since bringing him to SmackDown. Technically, he's on the SmackDown <laughs> roster, and they've done dick all with him. So uh, I'm assuming that Nice is going to retain here. I do know there's some 205 news coming soon that should be pretty big. I think it involves Fox, so we'll have that to you as soon as we get it. But I did hear about that today. It's not 100% okay. confirmed. but Well, hell yeah, that's at least something to look forward to. Um Daniel Bryan and Rowan, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, don't have their belts on the line, and they're going against the Usos, who they beat for these titles. By the way, the Usos are from Raw, and it's on the pre-show. Daniel Bryan is on the pre-show. The Usos are on the pre-show, but even more so, Daniel Bryan is on the fucking pre-show in a non-title match against the Usos. Look, I'm not saying this is going not going to be a great match. It was the last one they had was awesome. Their tag match that was with the Usos and Roman was awesome. And by the way, God, I wish that just I, they're they're on different platforms. But can I just say that one of the things I did like was Roman Reigns with his cousins, the Usos, and I think that it kind of brings Roman away from being Vince McMahon Robo Roman. Uh, I thought he had a hell of a lot more personality when he first came back, and I think that's kind of dwindled to the character that he was beforehand. And I think that's actually affecting, you know, the the fan reaction, which sucks anyways because I like Roman Reigns. I just think it would help if he was with his cousins. All I'm saying, I think they work off, off each other well. Either way, I mean, the Usos could win because it's not for the titles, but then that would set up a rubber match. And what if the Usos win that? It's just so confusing. So I'm gonna assume that the SmackDown 
champions at the end of this will be Daniel Bryan and Rowan because I don't think they have anything for Daniel Bryan to do. And why the fuck would you give that to the Raw guys? What do you think, Chris? I think it's a waste of the fucking Usos. Um, and it's a waste of it Daniel is. Bryan. <laughs> I feel like they both could have been put in higher profile matches. I think it's a fun pre-show match. I'm sure it'll be really, really good um, based on the guys that are in this match. Uh, but it, it's just one of those things where, like, why are the Usos not going for the World Championships? This is just going to be the Revival runs in on the Usos and tries to set up a few is what's going to happen um, more than likely because the Revival have nothing to do on this fucking show, so that's my guess, just to build up to it, to their TV match and maybe the next pay-per-view, which all of that shit is just thrown to the side anyways because the Viking Raiders are are going to end up winning the tag titles. So um, it's a weird fucking match choice and, and very weird. Not that they gave the title to Daniel Bryan as a tag champ because I think he they need something stable on SmackDown. But having the Usos there, who I think is 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 the best tag team in WWE, is is not necessarily the best look. Yep, I have to agree with you completely on that. All right, let's get to this card. Here's a nice one uh, that we've had kind of build up for. Uh, obviously, they're trying to re uh, give us um, a better match than the one they gave us at Mania because of Bray's injuries. But uh, Samoa Joe, the U.S. champion. Against Rey Mysterio. Um, I think Samoa Joe's going to retain. Who knows? They might just take the fucking belt off him. I would hope that the reason they're taking the belt off him would be to put him in the main, you know, universe title picture scene. Uh, because I think that him and Seth worked great beforehand, so I would like to see that again. Or, you know, whoever. Um, I guess him and AJ can do it. You know, they usually put on good matches. But either way... <laughs> Uh, if Ray wins, they're just putting the U.S. title on Ray to give, I guess, more uh, credentials to the U.S. title. I think Mojo already has it. Maybe Dominic will be involved in this match and extend the feud past this. They kind of set that up. I don't know. Maybe Samoa Joe is actually Dominic's real father. I don't think that's true. Um, I you don't think Samoa it's Eddie? Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I love how they reference that. Um uh, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding, but it, it, I, I would say Samoa Joe probably retains here, um, just because I feel like they're gonna do they're giving Samoa Joe basically the same storyline with that he had with AJ Styles, and they're gonna try to get a couple matches out of it. And the fact that Dominic's training, I'm sure that Samoa Joe is gonna choke him out at one point in time. So I'm assuming Joe's gonna win here, and that'll build up to another match, and then Ray finally gets you know revenge on Samoa Joe in some sort of stipulation type match. I could see that too I could definitely see that uh, Another grudge match if you will This one's a steel cage Chris uh, Our favorite feud The only one that they've actually put a lot of time and storyline into uh, The Miz uh, Versus Shane McMahon Flip a fucking coin Get Shane out of there And get Miz the back being a heel I don't care about any of this um, But chips and giggles Where do I think they're going to go I'm hoping Miz wins because that means, makes me think that this shit's over and that Shane can go back to being more of an authority figure because I actually do like him as a heel authority figure. Uh, and Miz can go on with his life. I can't believe they had a fucking time period where Daniel Bryan, at his point now, being heel Daniel Bryan, was in the ring twice now with the Miz 
and no one on commentary or any type of interaction with the two of them. That type of shit drives me fucking crazy. Even if you don't have to, even if you don't want to even directly go into a feud with them, just to kind of give us a little hint, a little hint of something. You know, they've had all this huge buildup past, and now they're the opposites. And we've only had one interaction on Miz TV, nothing after that. I digress. At least we got a fucking Shane and Miz match at WrestleMania. Chris, who's going to win the steel cage match? I actually think that this match doesn't actually, doesn't end at all, and Bray Wyatt somehow shows up in the middle of the ring as the Miz is about to win and kills him. Um, Miz has got a baby coming. I, well, I think mostly just the Miz. Miz has got a baby coming. He's going to be gone anyways. He gets some heat on. Maybe he murders both of them. That would be fine. Um, and then Shane just gets the win. But I'm assuming this is the perfect spot for your Bray Wyatt buildup that you've been doing. So I'm assuming that's where he's going to fall in line is right here, um, which would possibly toss him on SmackDown. But it also just gets him some heat. You know, against a rub against the storyline you've been talking to about for weeks. Uh, that would be how I booked it. Otherwise, I guess, you know, Ms. wins clean, which doesn't end anything really, and, and it'll be a bad match. So hopefully it's a short match and Bray destroys both of them. But that, that's my guess is Bray shows up during this match. I could see that. All right, let's go to another match. We got uh, Roman Reigns going against Elias. I mean, this should be a no-brainer, right? I know that they're trying to build Elias, and they have him when it comes to performance-wise and how he reacts to the audience. They just never give him any wins. Uh, he's decent in the ring, but they don't really give him a lot of in-ring stuff to get better, and he constantly loses. So why the fuck would I think Roman Reigns would, be, would, not, would lose, basically, to Elias? If Roman fucking loses, there has to be some type of fluke finish, someone interfering, maybe Shane... Maybe Drew McIntyre, maybe fucking Baron Corbin like they normally do. Very unoriginal. Could see that happening. But I'm going to choose Roman Reigns to beat Elias. What do you think? I'm going to say Roman wins by DQ and Lars Sullivan destroys Roman. And then they build that storyline. Originally, I thought it was going to be... I, I thought they were going to go somewhere else with it, but I think they're probably they, – Lars Sullivan's not on the show. That's going to be their next big match but as far as SmackDown goes, so that that's my guess for it. Unless because of all the stuff it shifted, and then you might get another pay-per-view match and the B-team screws Roman somehow. Oh, God, that would be just amazing if we got the B-team screwing over Roman Reigns so he gets a loss to Elias. All right, let's let's move on. Before we get to the women's championship matches and the male uh, heavyweight championship matches, let's go over these money in the bank. Um, first one, the men's. We have Sami Zayn versus Ricochet versus Drew McIntyre versus Baron, Cor- Baron Corbin versus Ali. I'm reading this. Mustafa Ali. Fuck you guys for trying to shorten names. Finn Balor versus Andrade Cien Almas versus Randy Orton. Um this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I can see why they took Braun out of the mix to put in Sammy. I think he's a good addition to this match. You've got a lot of great high-flying workers. Um, this should be awesome. I think the two choices, if I were to make them, I don't know, uh, would be Drew McIntyre or Mustafa Ali because his push kind of got a little bit halted 
Andrade definitely is my third one, but I would say that Drew McIntyre and Ali are pretty much tied for first. I'll give the slight. Uh, I'll give the slight to Drew McIntyre. Uh, Ricochet fucking climbed all up and down, uh, up up and down the ladder. So I'm pretty sure he's not doing it. And because if you touch that goddamn thing, it's just like uh, you know, if you win uh, the night before. So I'm just gonna go with those statistics that are based on WWE maps. <laughs> uh, fucking stupid. Um, very original when you do that all the time. Uh, who do you think is going to win this match, Chris? And are you excited to see people like Ali and Finn Balor and Ricochet and Andrade tearing it up with, you know, some more slower guys like Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre and, and Sami Zayn and and, uh, and and Randy Orton? What do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm not super excited about Baron Corbin being in the match, but I, my pick for the win is probably, like, based on WWE booking is going to be Drew McIntyre. Um, I think one big guy in these matches is usually enough. Uh, with Baron and Drew both there, you kind of get the same thing. Um, so that's why I'm not super stoked on Baron being in the match. But I think Drew McIntyre is probably going to win. Um, my fantasy booking on what I would do is I would have Sami Zayn win, have him help Kevin Owens win the title, and then screw over Kevin Owens, and then you have Sami Zayn back as a baby face and plan it out as an elaborate <sighs> trick. And then you have a good fucking feud. But what they're going to do is Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. So that's that's my guess on that. Yep. I could see that happening as well. All right. For the ladies, we have Natalia versus Dana Brooke versus Naomi versus Bailey versus Mandy Rose versus Amber Moon versus Carmella versus Nikki Cross now replacing Alexa Bliss, who is taken out of the match due to medical reasons, and we don't know exactly what they are. Really hoping this is not going back to her concussion-related stuff, but she's not done a lot of work. She had that one match where she couldn't get her two sh- her shoes tied, and she barely did anything in that. And then before that, I don't think she did much since Royal Rumble? Not sure. So, Lexa is great. I really hope that that doesn't happen. On the bright side, though, I will say that if it were to be a situation where she wouldn't be able to come back due to that, I think she'll have a similar career like Paige because I think that she would be an excellent on-air personality, manager, anything like that. So I don't want to be negative, but I'm just saying that is a possibility, unfortunately. Uh, but out of all the ladies in this match, I think Bailey's going to win it. And I honestly – well, we'll get into it later on when we after we talk about all the matches. I kind of want to go with Chris and talk about possible cash-ins for the, for the uh, Money in the Bank Um briefcase itself but yeah I, I think that Bailey has a good chance my second guess would be Mandy Rose uh, but should be a good match a lot of good ladies and Dana Brooke really liked uh, her, her ladder spot and I thought she did really good during her promo last time and I wanted to give her some props on that because I'm always harder on her when it comes to her promo skills but good job Dana you know you're definitely showing that you deserve to be in there with some past actually I think all these ladies are past champions uh, besides Nikki Cross uh, Chris, and that's also another great addition. I'm glad Nikki's getting a chance to kind of show her shit. Uh, Chris, who do you think is going to win this? I think Minnie Rose is going to end up winning this, and it leads to the breakup of her and is it, it's Sheena, right? Um, no, it's a uh, uh, oh, man. But, I can't remember her name now. Yeah, it, well, fuck. Fire, not desire. It, but yeah, but anyway, they've been doing that. Yes, Sonia Deville. So they've been doing that 
that storyline for so long that I assume that she's going to win it and that's going to cause their eventual breakup, which will make Mandy Rose look like a baby face headed against Charlotte. Um, the outside of that would be, hey, we decide we're going to keep, we're going to put the title on Charlotte and go and have her go against Bailey. I think the smart money would be Bailey, but I totally see them doing the Mandy Rose fucking storyline. I could see it too. All right, let's break down these Becky matches. Um, this is the thing that sucks about this 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 Money in the Bank thing is not knowing the placement and the order. I'm going to assume that since she has two matches, one's going to be probably more towards the beginning. And one might be after the actual Money in the Bank match. I don't know if that's the case, how they're going to do it. But Becky Lynch versus Charlotte, I see – all right, I'll just put it this way. Becky is going to beat Lacey Evans because if she's going to have one championship, it's going to be on Raw because they need her there, I think, uh, for the women's division. And she's a huge name. Not only that, but they've been seeming to keep all the couples together. Her and Seth Rollins are obviously in a relationship, so I could see them trying to keep them together for that reason. Also, Lacey, she's she's fucking new. She's lucky she's getting this far. She's gotten really, really comfortable on the mic, and I'll give her uh, that respect. But let I can't see her fucking winning the championship against Becky. My 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 jaw will drop to the floor if that happens. Charlotte, on the other hand, I could take, see her taking that belt uh, for sure. Now, I could see her losing and still the person that wins the TLC coming in, cashing in, and then taking advantage of Becky. And then it's like, well, she fucking beat both ladies, and then a third person beat her and took the SmackDown title off of her. So I could see that definitely happening. In that situation, I would assume Bailey would be that person, and it kind of would make sense with the three of them, Charlotte, Becky, and, and Bailey having so much history together. Or maybe Mandy Rose. I don't know. Chris, what do you think is going to happen with these two matches? Yeah, well, if if Mandy wins, like I said, the money in the bank, I think Charlotte's actually going to cause a fuck finish in the Lacey Evans match, basically a DQ finish where she just damages Becky's knee again. And then the Charlotte versus Becky match is Becky selling her knee, making a miraculous comeback to eventually end up losing to Charlotte Flair. So she'll keep the Raw title by disqualification and lose the SmackDown title because – Charlotte fucked her over basically either that or you'll get a failed cash in on on one of these two matches but I, I feel like she's keeping the raw title and and Charlotte's walking out with the Smackdown title I feel pretty confident about that one that makes the most sense for sure all right and then the men's championship matches uh, first Kofi Kingston the champion the WWE champion uh, going against Kevin Owens in a grudge match uh, this should be an excellent match. I'm looking forward to it uh, because of what happened on SmackDown. I can see Sammy getting involved. I can see Xavier. I can even see Big E making a return if he's ready, uh, honestly. I kind of hope they just keep it down to two of these guys, but I'm just saying I could see based on WWE. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume Kofi Kingston is going to retain his championship. I'll be kind of pissed if he doesn't. Um, if they were like, well, I mean, he did beat Daniel Bryan, and then he beat those uh, – I forgot the two people that he beat the next night. I think it was Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. <laughs> AJ Styles. Um, I still – I mean, it's it's like that's not enough for me. I want this title on him for a couple of months, and I want him to stop throwing pancakes and being a fucking champion. Um, but, yeah, who do you think is going to win this? I'm going Kofi. 
I think if Sami Zayn wins the money in the bank, Sami Zayn cashes in and wins the championship, and that sets up with a three-way between Sami, Kofi, and Kevin Owens. That's my guess of where this is probably actually going. Um, it feels like they want Sami on SmackDown, in my opinion, especially after they murdered him on Raw. So, uh, unfortunately, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn's stars are always crossed, and that's just kind of how I feel it's going to go down. But uh, if, if if no one gets involved, I would just hope that Kofi would keep the title and uh, build to another match between these two down the road. But my guess is Sami Zayn's probably, if he wins money in the bank, he's probably walking out as the champion to screw both these guys over. All right. And then what, what I think all of us are hoping is going to be a long match Um Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles. I think Seth's keeping the match or keeping the title. Uh, that's not my concern about the U.S. or the United States. Fuck, I can't talk right now. The Universal Championship match itself. I want these guys to have enough time, and I don't want them to be held back by Vince and creative when it comes to wrestling. These guys can give us an excellent fucking match. I think that Dolph and Seth should have given better matches, and I don't think necessarily it was their fault. And I definitely think AJ should have had better matches with Samoa Joe and Shinsuke Nakamura, especially. And also based on the fact that we've seen them have better matches in the past outside of WWE. So, yes, this is a big match. This could be awesome. I hope it leads to a feud that builds up to to SummerSlam and even has a better match. I would love that. They haven't put shit in to develop this or really build it for being as big of a match to a lot of people that are wrestling fans like myself to see these two guys you know, in the ring together. I hope they make really good music, and I'm hoping that they're not hampered and forced to make shitty electronica. Let's just fucking put it that way. Um, (laughs) Seth Rollins, I definitely think, will win this match. Please, God, give us a good wrestling match between two of these guys. Yeah, I think think Seth ends up retaining uh, in this match, barring... Barring that they put the Kofi Kevin Owens match on first for some unknown reason, I'm assuming that Seth and AJ will go before the Money in the Bank match, and that'll be your opener for the pay per view. We don't have like a schedule, but that would be my guess: is Universal goes on first, and they really like the show up. Um, that would be how I would book it, and then have Seth retain, and you set up a rubber match between him and AJ. But I, I'm hoping it's a, the same as you. I hope it's a really great match. And uh, I think it will be. The You know what's really fucking weird about this card now that we've finished it for the most part is that I don't see any Raw tag team title defense, and I don't see a women's tag team title defense, and there's 11 fucking matches on this card already. Yeah, the women's is rumored to be added, but it would probably be on the pre-show between the Kabuki Warriors and... Um, whatever the hell, the Iconics, which if they do that, it sucks it's on the fucking pre-show, but Daniel Bryan's on the pre-show. Um, I hope the Kabuki Warriors take the fucking belts off them. Could you imagine if Bailey and Sasha still had the belts and they were able to have a fucking feud with the Kabuki, with, I'm, I'm not going to say the damn name, with Asuka and, 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 and Kerry Sane? Like, it's really disappointing. But you were right, Chris. You're 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 absolutely right. Um, and the Raw Championships, I don't even know who the fuck the champion, oh yeah, it's, it's it's Ryder. God damn it. I can't even fucking. God. <laughs> just get. All right. Look, look, Vince. Just give AJ and Seth 20 to 30 minutes. That's all I'm asking. Please. 
Well, that's what I was <sighs> getting at is that there should be at least one or two more matches added to this motherfucker, and there's already 11 matches, and this is going to be a three-hour pay-per-view. So we'll see, man. We'll see. We'll but it's see. not looking great. <laughs> unless Oscar right, well, just unless they just squash that women's tag match and don't do it, or they just have Oscar choke somebody out really, really quickly in like ninety seconds on the pre-show. Yeah, uh, I mean that would be cool. Oh God, I'm not even looking. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm watching this as soon as Game of Thrones starts at nine for the finale. I'm fucking switching over, and I might catch the rest Monday. I don't know. I don't know. I'm definitely not staying up until 1 o'clock to watch wrestling. That might be subpar. But if I get a chance to watch anything, it'll be the AJ Seth match. Hopefully, it doesn't disappoint me. And I don't want this to happen, but I love AJ Styles. I think he's great. His best match, and this is not cutting down John Cena, but his best match in WWE so far, I would say, was with John Cena. And he's gone against guys that he's put on clinics with in the past. So, same thing with you know with Seth. It's like he's paired with great wrestlers. That doesn't mean necessarily anything because of how they kind of limit them in the ring and the amount of time they're given sometimes. I mean, that's that's more WWE creative and Vince. So, hopefully, I'm not saying all strings are fucking off, but they just have an awesome match, and that's all I'm really caring about for the whole entire pay-per-view. It's a dream match I've wanted to see for a while. Let's go into predictions, though, between do you think that regardless of who wins the women's, I think that I had Bailey, Bailey or Mandy, you kind of said the same thing, and we both had Drew for the men's. Would either the men's or women's get cashed in? I don't think the men's would, but I think that Bailey could end up cashing in or Mandy possibly. But Bailey, I definitely think if she wins that, I, I could see her later on pulling on Alexa Bliss. What do you think? I I still honestly think the women's one isn't going to get cashed in. I could see Mandy holding it and then building that into storyline with her tag partner. Um, for the men's, I think – I don't see Drew cashing in if he wins it. I think it's one of those things they'll hold and build to like they did with Baron Corbin a little bit, except for when he does cash in, it will actually mean something. If Sammy wins, who I actually think might win, I feel like he's going to screw over Kevin Owens and Kofi somehow, uh, which is an easy way to get the title off Kofi if they feel like Kofi shouldn't have the title. And I feel like that might be where they're going, which to me is okay because I think the perfect redemption for Kofi is if you have him fucking win Royal Rumble, if you want to build him back up, that could be a huge moment. Um, but I, I don't know, man, I, I, for whatever reason, something about Sami Zayn is sticking out in that match. The fact that he was added randomly, the fact that he's already talking buddy, buddy with Kevin Owens, the fact that they really love the festival of friendship angle previously, they love that feud between him and Sammy and you've set up a three-way match for your next pay-per-view if you want to right off this. So that's. That one, for whatever reason, is standing out to me. But if Drew wins, I, I don't see him cashing, and I think he'll hold it because I feel like the Seth and uh, AJ Styles match is going to happen before Money in the Bank, the actual Money in the Bank match itself. Well, you heard it right here from us over at Wrestling Geeks Alliance, guys. Another episode. Um, day late, but still, we got it to you. So we got TLC this weekend. We got the Super Juniors from New Japan that's on currently. Um, 
lot of good wrestling this weekend. Catch some wrestling. Catch some Game of Thrones if you're into it, unless you hate it and, you know, go write it. Um, but either way, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, be back next week on our normal day of Wednesday, P- or Wednesday p.m. Wednesday at 7 p.m. EST, like we do every Wednesday normally. Um, and, Chris, say goodbye to the wonderful audience. Everybody have a great week. Get excited for Money in the Bank. I will be watching it all the way through. Um, <laughs> Dane, on the other hand, maybe not. But uh, if you have any questions or comments, you, you can hit me up on Facebook at Christopher.R.Patton um, or on Twitter at Chris R. Patton. Uh, either way, I'm more than happy to talk to you guys. We can talk about AEW or pay-per-views or whatever the hell you want to shoot about. Just let me know. And uh, Dane, as always, pleasure doing the show with you, bud. I hope you have an awesome night as well. And that's the bottom line. All right, so you guys have a good one. Remember, like I said at the beginning of the show, check out our website at gvnation.com. That's GV as in Geek Vibes. So gvnation.com, you'll find news source for any of our stuff. We got sports, we got wrestling, we got comics, comic book movies, movies, video games. If it's a part of fandom that you like, we probably cover it as well as links to our platforms to listen to these podcasts over on Blog Talk, on Stitcher, on iTunes, and pretty much every other thing. Also, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Geek Vibes Nation. Check us out. Join our groups. Contact me or Chris on Twitter or Facebook. Contact me on Facebook because I have a burner account on Twitter. But if you really don't like me, you can hit me up on Twitter. Um, And just message us and have a conversation with us. Let us know what you think about TLC, the show, whatever. We want to take your constructive criticism, concerns, loves, whatever. We'll take anything, really, at this point. But either way, that's it. That's another night of Geek Vibes Nation Presents Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And now I'll let Booker T lead us out. Let the Geek Vibes be with you, and peace out. Floppy wiener, floppy wiener.